two midlife ladies walk into a bar. The third one ducks. <laughs> oh, Shelly, this is going to be funny. Drop that mic, Megan. <laughs> Welcome to Crave City Dreams, the podcast where we talk with Milwaukee women who are doing incredible things, hard things, fun things, exciting things. Hilarious things. Hilarious things, Shelly, like our two guests today. <laughs> we have Julie Rowley and Angela Lynn, Ellen Elizabeth, Gabrielle, Sue Ellen, Suzette, Jules, Juliet, Yvette, Josie, Diana, Ann, Brooke, Lila, Catherine, McManaman. Otherwise known as Angie McManaman. Clearly she went to Catholic school. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking with them about switching it up at midlife, trying something new, being brave, jumping on the stage. One thing I love about this episode is just hearing from these two friends who have their individual dreams, but their relationship with each other really nurtured those dreams along. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Let's turn the mic over to the comedians. Next up. Put your hands together for... Julie and Angie! Are you like them apples? I think we should leave the comedy to the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so I, in March, there was a comedy event at Sugar Maple, and it was co-produced by a neighbor of mine, um, Angie McMenamin, and co-produced with Julie Rowley. And they brought on an all-women's comedy sketch troupe. They brought in three comedians, if I'm remembering correctly. Like I said, it was at the Sugar Maple, so I may not remember all of it, but it was hilarious. And hearing Angie and Julie do short intro stand-ups, they call themselves amateurs, but honestly, they could have been professionals and you could have fooled me because it was hilarious. And I just thought, these are two women we need to get on this podcast because they are making connections. Their goal is to bring people together, to introduce people who might not otherwise have met to bring people across the city. Hello, is this not what we're doing on this podcast, right? So that's just a little bit of the background um, so that, you know, going into this interview. And one one crossover for the two of them is this idea of storytelling, the, the importance of personal expression, places where we can hear and really start to understand people's stories. So in this effort to connect people, Julie is creating Push MKE, which will co-produce events that connect people, really fun things like singles mixers, yes. menopause Mondays, communal singing, Megan, wouldn't that be so fun? I know, right? And then learning how to play cards, different card games together, but like really engaging things that sort of break down some of the walls so that people can really connect. And why is she doing that? Well, let's meet Julie. My biggest dream for Push Milwaukee is it becomes something that people are interested in taking part in, interested in helping lead. I want to give it energy so it can grow into whatever it needs to grow into. So whatever this community needs, I think there's a lot of pain and a lot of lost hope in Milwaukee. And I would like to figure out how in some small way to create more connection to help restore some of that hope and a little more lightness in people's lives so that they don't feel so burdened. Mm. 
I am a mom of uh, one daughter. Uh, I'm divorced. Uh, she's about to fly the coop and go to college. Uh, so I have an opportunity to dream more in my life and figure out what I really want to do and what brings me energy. A lot of things I think in life is steeped in story. So if we are curious about each other's story, I think that is a really interesting place to start. And I think some of the things that I'm, I want to do in my new adventures are connect people and have people curious about each other's stories and, and be able to learn how to tell their story. So let's get to story. First, let's hear how they met and how that friendship 10 years later led to this comedy show that inspired Megan to bring them on the pod. I believe I met Julie in a hearing room in the state capitol building. This would have been 2010. And I was there to give testimony about not Act 10, but sort of an Act 10 adjacent education bill that was going to slash education funding by a landmark amount of money. And although Julie and I were very eloquent and persuasive and passionate, we did not persuade the Joint Finance Committee to stop that legislation in its tracks. And so uh, we met that way, just in this really like politically and personally intense moment. I'd love to know about your relationship to what Julie's doing. Like, sounds like you're inspiring each other, but you know, how'd that come about? Even though we don't see each other a lot, you know, you do have those friends in your life where they're, you know, there's something you want to do that other friends who love you and support you would never do with you. And so it was just fun to think, okay, I'm going to do a stand up. I'm going to do an open mic. Who could I call? And Julie's name was the only one on the list. <laughs> so I've been in theater since I was in elementary school. I've done improv. I'm not afraid to get up in front of people and be someone else or be funny or, you know, make a fool out of myself sometimes. So, but for some reason, stand up just like felt like this really, this thing that I couldn't do, it just felt scary. And I was afraid of it. And Angie was starting to work on stand up in her life. And so she, she's like, let's just do it. Let's just make a date and go to an open mic and just do a routine. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I knew after I said, okay, that I had to figure it out because I couldn't let Angie down and be like, nah, sorry, I can't make it, you know? So I did it and I didn't die and everything was okay. It was, and it felt pretty good in my body. It was like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. So um, it's just another tool. It's just another thing to learn. Yeah, I'm so happy to know about what she's up to at the beginning stages of her work, you know, just so that we can amplify the importance sort of the mission or the goal behind these events is getting people to connect in real solid, deep mm. ways. One cool thing that I took away from this and from Julie in particular and what she's doing with Push MKE is that she saw something that was needed in the city for something that she wanted, that she was looking for for herself that she couldn't find. And so rather than just give up on the idea, she created it. So I have, um, most of my life, I've helped other people organize events that they want to do. And now I'm just curious about bringing events that I would like to do or I would like to see happen. 
What's it like for you to do something that is your own, create events that are events you want to go to, as opposed to creating events that other people are asking you to create? Sometimes I hesitate because it's like, who do I need to ask permission to do this? Hmm. I've asked, I've always had asked permission in my life. And I think it stopped me from doing a lot of things up until now, but after being through all the things I've been through in my life, the least of which is not divorce, <laughs> that was that was an interesting ride. And then just and having one child and having that child now leaving, it's like like I've said it before, it's like it's time to shit or get off the pot. It's just I feel this is my window. And if I don't take this moment in my life to come into my own and own my power, it's going to pass me by and I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. I love that her name of the, the name of what she's creating is push Mm. because of this sense of like, how do we push our own limits? You know, how do we do what feels risky, but that might help bring beauty and goodness and um, joy into the world, you know, pushing the envelope, Mm. uh, pushing our boundaries, pushing through hard things. You know, I I just love that all the images that come to mind with that name really seems to capture what she's up to. It's about connecting people to each other. It's about connecting community. It's about uh, pushing the envelope and trying something new. The other thing I picked up from both of them is how their creativity and the courage to try something new grew out of the experience of pain or hardship Mm. in some ways. So for Julie, the transitional experience of recognizing that your kid is leaving for college and you're going to have time and space, but that that also might, you know, create a void of its own. And for Angie, just processing the pain of unexpected suffering of a kid and Mm -hmm. recognizing that getting caught up in that suffering is not where she wanted to be, you know, like wanted to be present, but also wanted to experience the joy and brings to mind for me that Carrie Fisher quote, take your broken heart and make it into art. You know, that there's something about transforming the pain we experience Mm. into something new and life-giving. And in this case, connecting and fun. My parenting journey took some dark, strange turns um, because every parent journey is also a child's journey. And so, you know, other people can take the wheel. Sometimes that happens. And those people are not always Jesus. Shout out to the Carrie Underwood song, Jesus Take the Wheel. Anyway, so I spent like a month of the summer of 2020 living at Children's Wisconsin with one of my children who had been very badly injured and had a long recovery ahead of them. And I cried a lot and I was alone a lot. It was the pandemic. And so a couple of days after my child was injured, that was when Jacob Blake was shot in Kenosha and he was also at Freightert. And so as my son regained consciousness after his injury, he had learned about Jacob Blake's shooting. And so like that time, August of 2020 through September of 2020 was just incredibly intense for everybody because it was the first summer of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter was one of the only things that was getting people, at least people that I knew out on the streets and engaging with each other. And so, you know, I made a joke and I felt like, okay, I've been in a pretty dark place and crying for a pretty long time. So 
maybe I should try to laugh more or just like turn some of this stuff into, I don't know, gold or not gold, but just healing. So that's what I try to do because, you know, people who are funny professionally, I'm an amateur, but like professional comedians will often talk about how they just feel life's sadness in everything, but also life's humor and joy. Mm. I was doing the River West 24 and they had this um, challenge where you had to go and do an open mic of some sort at is it the Jackalope Lounge right across from the elementary school on Center Street. Oh, yeah. By checkpoint, one of the River West 24 checkpoints. And so you got prompts and my prompt was, what is one thing you would never say with a mouthful of potatoes? And my punchline was, is the famine over yet? (laughs) Which is like a historical joke. It's not even that funny, but my friend liked it. And then my friend told some little kids. And so it was just a weird thing to have my friend's 11 year old come up to me and say, I heard your potato joke. And it was pretty funny. And that is also how the first joke I ever told back in Catholic school circa 1988. It was just one of those things. You said it and then people said it back to you. And there's a lot of power in that. And so much surprise, you know, that other people heard something you said and it stuck with them. So I think every writer is looking for a piece of that, whatever your genre is, right? Whether it's music or stand up or playwriting. So yeah, it's interesting. It reminded me of writing for me. I'm not a comedian. I don't get up on stage, but I write and I send out, you know, newsletters to uh, the people who are signed up. And the ones I'm always the most afraid to send out, the one that I think the night before that I'm like, oh, should I send this? Is this too much? Am I oversharing? And usually because I'm sharing something vulnerable or raw, those are the ones that I get the most response from. Like, thanks for sharing that. I've experienced that too. Or, you know, I appreciated you saying that because I know I'm not alone. So I feel like no matter what your medium, when you're the most vulnerable, And when you really put yourself out there is when it makes the most difference and is what the world needs the most, you know, those going back to their ideas of story and sharing story and being able to empathize with other people. It comes from sharing stories. Yep. Those are the stories people want to hear. Really curious to know what you two think about the connection between comedy and connection. Like what is it about comedy specifically that connects people or has the potential to connect people? I think when you get up on stage or you just stand up with a microphone or with a really personal or embarrassing story, you're breaking down some walls, right? You're getting up and saying some awkward, strange, weird, beautiful stuff happened to me. And I'm inviting you to hear about it. And that just, I think, does create a sense of connection and familiarity instantly among people who may not already know each other. Like vulnerability is such a power. And I think Mm. that stand-up comedy in particular puts that vulnerability front and center Mm. and turns it into a platform, a power, a moment to like hyper-connect. That's what I would say. So I would think that it'd be hard as a stand-up person or a, a comic to not have people laugh. Them laughing at you is kind of the point, mm-hmm. right? They're laughing with you. Have you experienced, have either of you experienced that where people aren't laughing, aren't connecting, aren't resonating? And what's that like if you have experienced For that? That first stand-up routine that I ever did, the people 
that were there except for our Angie and Mai's people. They didn't make a noise. It was like they didn't get it. I'm talking about being single this age, dating, you know. They would they would get up and tell a joke about dating uh, at their age and it would be like a raunchy. It's just different types of humor. So open mics are really hard for me to get my head around to go to because there's there's not a lot of Angie and I's at these open mics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you don't don't know if it's funny or not because it's not your people that the humor would resonate with. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, what I'm hearing is you went did the open mic. It didn't land with a lot of the people there because they couldn't relate to the experience, but you didn't let that stop you because you just realized this isn't the right crowd. This isn't the right audience for what I have to offer. And so now you're creating that audience for yourself. Is that correct? I mean, that's kind of the progression. And the comedy show that we produced together, that's my audience. I could have done a much longer set and still been really comfortable with it because it's like, those are the people that understand what I'm, where I'm coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know, like, I know what it's like to be laughed at, you know, like to, to create material, create an experience that is designed to generate laughter. And then I've receive that laughter. And that feels so good. And then I know what it's like to create an experience like that, to write three or four minutes of material and deliver it. And nobody laughs. It's like the fastest, most painful, like 60 or 120 seconds you can imagine, but it goes by so quickly and it feels bad, but it is, as Julie said earlier, it's one of those moments where you did something, it happened and then it's over, you know, and you just keep going. So when you fail like that, it's, it's pretty fun to, to think about what didn't work and try to fix it and get back up there again. Because I think once you've been through that, that experience of just bombing and comedy, they call it bombing. Everybody who does comedy and writes about comedy promises that when you start out, you will bomb many times. And that is so true. So you can't like go into this and think you're going to kill it every single time. Like that's just never the expectation. It's like parenting. Everybody tells you it's going to be magical and otherworldly and beautiful. And it's also going to be hard. The hardest thing you'll ever, ever do. And that's certainly been true. Tommy's reputation precedes it pretty accurately, I think. But do you let those failures stop you? I suppose some people do. Like they just decide that that doesn't feel good to them or they can get their message out or share their story or connect in another way. And so they try another way. To me, it almost feels like feels like that quintessential question of like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is you get up and nobody laughs. And then you have it once and you realize you're not dead. You survived. I think that would be sad to get to the end of your life and having not given the stage, the metaphorical stage a go, whatever that is for you. It's that Beverly Sills quote. What is it? I think Beverly Sills was a really famous opera performer. And there's a quote out there. You've probably heard it in some form, but it's, if we try and we fail, we are disappointed. If we fail to try at all, we are doomed. Mm, Yeah. And so, you know, being afraid of failing did stop me from trying comedy. Yeah. Like people always said that people said I was funny and used to tell me to try comedy and I never did. And then when I was like 43 and a friend told me I was funny, like for the first time in 10 years, someone said, you're funny. You should try this. It was like, oh my gosh, what am I waiting for? I'm 43. I just like lived a month in a children's hospital. I have to do it now or I'm doomed. Mm. So I can at least say I'm, I'm not doomed. I'm not always funny, but I tried. When people offer their gifts out of generosity or no, maybe it's 
maybe it's that women specifically seem to approach their brave things with the spirit of generosity. Mm. So I've learned like Angie, I've learned that comedy is a fun outlet for my self-expression when I'm going through a hard time. And I want to teach kids that skill, you know, so she creates a comedy camp for kids. Along the lines of, you know, not waiting for permission or approval. I am doing a comedy camp this summer. I'm piloting a comedy camp in our East Side community. So together, we're just going to do sort of like this seven-day exploration of different genres of comedy, comedic film, and teaching a group of neighborhood kids some skills so that they can use humor as a coping tool and a storytelling strategy to kind of make sense of their own lives and experiences. And I think that humor can be a great way to, to process this and, and uh, start to tell your own story. I just think that there's, there's something really beautiful about And, you know, honestly, generosity makes us brave, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. When we can, when we can tap into this, isn't about me. This is about my gift, helping other people. This is about my gift, lifting up a community. This is about my gift, teaching kids. Like then then it comes from a different place, right? It's a generous spirit instead of a, Hey, look at me shine kind of thing. Yes. I mean, one thing that I like about Julie, I mean, there are a few things. There are at least three things. And one of them is her fearlessness, you know, and just like lack of vanity and not caring what other people think of her. Do you feel fearless, Julie? Uh, Sometimes, even though sometimes I hit that wall of fear of that imposter syndrome of what what am I doing? But it's like, why the hell not? I just have to jump and just do it and trust that those old tapes are not what I need to continue to live by and to continue to direct me, that it's going to be uncomfortable because it's new territory for me. I do really think that a challenge for myself out of this interview is doing those scary things so that you have the experience of surviving them. The idea of getting up on a stage and trying a bit and it just totally bombing it would be a horrible three minutes for sure. And maybe a horrible couple hours afterwards, mm-hmm. but the next day it's, it's, it didn't kill you, right? You can get back up on the stage and try again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's the lesson out of that? What did you take from that whole like bombing? That might've been my favorite part because I think we're so afraid. Like, I don't know why we're so afraid to bomb. And so therefore so many of us don't even get up on the stage, you know, that metaphorical stage of whatever it is we're scared to try. And how sad would that be to get to the end of our lives and feel like, dang it, why didn't I try? Why didn't I do that? You know, and I feel like there's something about coming into middle age and maybe it's this power that they kind of kept referring to this power that comes with middle age of I'm just going to do it because this is who I am. It's taken me 40 something years, 50 something years to realize it, but here I am. This is me. So here I am. Pass me the mic, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Shelly, wasn't this fun? Or should I say funny? (laughs) Well, I know that I'm going to be following and getting to some of Push MKE's events. Women in midlife doing comedy is not something that has 
been on my brain, but now it is. And I want to get myself to a show. Yes. Yep. Yep. I'm definitely going to keep my eye on the events that Push Milwaukee promotes. And also she's really good on her Facebook page of promoting all sorts of things. So not just her own events, but other ways that you can connect with art exhibits, theater productions, farmers markets. Like she's just a good resource to follow. And you can find her at all the usual socials. Facebook and Instagram at PushMKE and her website, PushMKE.com. Join us next time when we talk to another Milwaukee woman living her cream city dream. Until then, Milwaukee. Go ahead and bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, clearly we should not quit our day jobs. Oh, wait, we're mothers. Is that possible? Try something scary. What kind of metaphorical stage can you get on this week? What can you try where there might be the possibility that you'll bomb? Or you could be hilarious. Who knows? You won't know until you try. Until then, Milwaukee. Keep on laughing. (laughs) Boom. loving the podcast oh we hope so if you are do us a favor like us on all the socials we are on facebook at cream city dreams we are on instagram at cream city dreams and tell your friends share our links on your socials and maybe most importantly leave us a review on apple podcasts tell them how much you love us and if you're feeling even more generous you could buy us a coffee at the link in the show notes This podcast is a labor of love, by which we mean we absolutely love creating it, but it's a heck of a lot of work. So if you want to throw us a couple bucks to buy ourselves a coffee, or honestly, if we get more than a couple bucks, possibly some better editing software, we would not stop you. Have we mentioned that we have seven kids between us? So we're pretty much up early before the kids wake up to put this thing together. So coffee would not go amiss. Show us the coffee. And hey, you know some woman doing something inspiring in Milwaukee and you think we should interview her? Please drop us an email, creamcitydreamspodcast at gmail.com or head to our website. Let us know about her. And if you see our guests in the wild, be sure to let them know you heard about them on Cream City Dreams Podcast. And as always, thank you so much for listening. It is a joy to connect with you here. Yes, you're helping us bring our Cream City Dream to life. Boom. Boom. Thanks, listeners. We love you.